0: How does a former amphibious task force and third fleet surgeon find his way to landlocked Utah? Did he use the Great Salt Lake? What is a pediatric intensivist? And what is the new dual program degree being offered here at the University of Utah School of Medicine? And finally, why is it so important to take advantage of every opportunity in education? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Dr. Brad Post, Medical Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Primary Children's Medical Center here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Co-Director of the Pediatric Critical Care Fellowship Program. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world, this is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Right. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking to Missions and Med Student Life. We've got a great guest today, Dr. Doctor Brad Post, who's here today to talk about a myriad of subjects. Good morning, Dr. Post. Good morning. How are you, Dr. Chan? I'm doing great. So let's start off. Um, so uh, you're a Navy man. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, you, is you is, is can. that the appropriate I, I moniker? Am,
1: I am retired from the U.S. Navy. Okay. So, uh, and you're a pediatrician? I am a pediatrician, a pediatric intensivist by. Uh, is what I practice at this time.
0: So how does one go into pediatrics in the Navy? Because that does—that seems like it's disconnected, but it's not.
1: It, it isn't. So actually, the Navy cares for uh, women and children of Navy service members and retired uh, military uh, individuals worldwide. Mm-hmm. They've done that for a long time. In fact, many of the early pediatric advances came from the military. Oh, really? Uh, things like... Uh, Early studies on respiratory syncytial virus, the most common cause of pediatric hospitalization. A lot of the immunizations uh, information came out of the military, uh, so they really have a much larger media, uh, military or pediatric presence than people believe. Mm-hmm. So, are
0: you take like? So, you did your residency in pediatrics. I did. Okay. So,
1: I joined the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Kansas, mm-hmm. and I had to put myself through school, mm-hmm. and it was either to serve in underserved rural Kansas. Or
0: to go see the world. And they operate. have a huge Navy base in Kansas, right? A big one. No, absolutely <laughs> zero. I
1: did okay. join the Navy over the Army or Air Force because okay. I love water. Okay. And I thought, I want to be stationed near water. As it mm-hmm. turns out, the Navy has bases in the desert in California okay. and in Idaho and in lots of places you wouldn't suspect. Okay. But uh,
0: that is why. All right. I joined, yeah. And so. Were a lot of your patients like uh, the sons and daughters of uh, Navy men, men, women, or like how does that work? Yeah, uh, very much
1: so, or Marines. Okay, uh,
0: because the Navy
1: supplies all the medical uh, services for the Marine Corps. Okay, as well as often
0: uh, Air Force and um, Army who were stationed nearby. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then did you were you mostly on base, or did you have to go out and do tours of duty on ships, or how does that
1: work? In my era, um, early on, my first 10 years of the career, you could elect to pretty much stay at hospitals as a pediatrician or okay. a pediatric specialist, which I was. I actually always chose to go out and do operational. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, things changed considerably, but I always did three to four years at a hospital, and then I would go do three. Two or two years of an operational tour, mm-hmm. out on a ship or working with the fleet, working with the Marines. Although I still got to practice clinically while I was doing that as well.
0: So even so, you say operational. So you were treating grown men. And, I was, okay.
1: although by the time mostly at most of mine were later in my career, mm-hmm. and so I actually served as kind of a medical planner or supervisor for younger physicians, nurses in that supply. So, for example, after nine eleven. We were one of the first battleship deployments uh, to support the Marines in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and I basically served as a medical advisor to someone who commanded a large group of ships that eventually grew to about twenty international ships. Okay,
0: so so I looked up, I looked up your CV online. So yes. fun time. So is this the amphibious task force surgeon? That is. What, is the, what does that mean? Amphibious so task force. So amphibious
1: surgeon. task force surgeon. So number one, the ships that. The Marines deploy on are actually the most capable Mm -hmm. uh, that the Navy has for medical. They have about six to eight ORs, depending on the class of ships. They've got a large ICU, very large bed, and most of the surgeons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aircraft carriers, which people would think of, actually have fairly small medical departments. Mm -hmm. So they're really there to support ground troops. That if they go in, they get injured, they come back to this ship as their primary uh, source of operative care
0: and resuscitation. Interesting. Yeah. So um, someone who... I mean, so nowadays, if someone wanted to help pay for medical school, like the armed forces, uh-huh. the military is certainly a place uh, that one can do that. So um, it sounds like it's 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 a it's a you know it sounds like it's a year for a year. Does that? It you, is, although
1: there's a minimum commitment. Okay, so if you join, it's going to be a minimum of three years. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then if you take four years of help for school. Uh, It'll be four years, and then you can occur additional duties or additional obligations if they support your training. Mm -hmm. So I train within the Navy at Naval Hospital Oakland Mm -hmm. in pediatrics and did a lot of my rotations at University of California, San Francisco, and Children's Hospital Oakland. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went overseas as a general pediatrician to the island of Guam for a couple years, which was fantastic, great family experience, Mm -hmm. and we got to care for kids in the ICU and we had about 80 deliveries a month, which is pretty good size, and we kept the babies mm-hmm. as long as they weren't too ill uh, in our Level 2 NICU. Um, and then they paid for my critical care fellowship here at the University of Utah okay, cool. Uh, in the
0: early 90s. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and from that, I got another three years'
0: obligation. Excellent. A lot of our medical students are... You know, non-traditional mean they have families, they have children of their own. Is is the naval? I mean, how was that on your family? My family traveling around. Okay, they
1: did. So we we did, especially early on. We moved several times, and so I do tell people, the military is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. If you want to stay in one place and do one job, it is definitely not for that. Mm -hmm. But if you like to explore different areas, and you like to do different things, it's a great career for that.
0: And as you advanced, did you get more say in where you would be stationed? I did. Okay. And so
1: actually, my last 10 years, I actually was stationed in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So my kids got to finish high school in one city. Um, and I really did that by doing these different jobs between going to hospitals and operational. Mm-hmm. But if you specialize, you tend to stay in one location you may just do deployments okay. and things like that.
0: Is San Diego kind of the top pick for all it, naval personnel? It pretty why, much is. Th- th- it, why, why is San Diego number one?
1: Yes. So when I was the director of all the residency programs at the Naval Medical Center of San Diego, we had about 400 residents. Um, it was uh, it was an easy recruitment for the most part. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, sun, Sea World, beach. Sea World, yeah. good living, yes. Cool uh, Pacific breeze, yeah. yes. Okay.
1: And the hospital is in actual for those who've been to San Diego, Balboa Park, where the zoo and all the museums are. The, most people don't know that the hospital is actually in that same canyon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at lunch hour, you can go out and run around the zoo,
0: around the park. Uh, it's Excellent. a very nice setting. Excellent. Yeah. And so, but you chose to come back here for. Uh, pediatric critical care. Well, I did. Yeah, so, why, why was that?
1: Why did you decide to that's come? That's a great yeah. question. So, I, in uh, as I was getting close to getting done with my military career, I looked at a lot of different places at a lot of different jobs. But I had always been coming back part time here to practice in the pediatric ICU mm-hmm. since uh, around 2002, so the, about five years before I retired. And it really just felt like home to my wife and I. We love San Diego but I really liked the Children's Hospital here and I really liked the University of Utah. Mm -hmm. So in many ways it just felt like home and it was also kind of an ideal place for me to practice. Mm
0: So, and the fellowship's three years,
1: correct? fellowship is three years.
0: Okay. So, and what kind of patients do you actually see in the pediatric ICU? What what are we talking about? Yeah,
1: so we see everything. So Mm -hmm. we have, uh, there are only about 4,000 pediatric ICU beds in the USA, compared to about 20,000 neonatal ICU beds and about 70,000 adult ICU beds. So it's a pretty limited commodity. But we see everything from babies who were born the day before and went home Mm -hmm. and now come back with infections Mm -hmm. or heart disease to we see young adults, teenagers who have trauma, uh, illnesses. And we actually, because we are a very large uh, congenital heart repair center, uh, we take care of 40, 50-year-olds who are getting multiple stages of surgeries throughout mm. their life um, and so we really we see from everything from a you know couple pound baby to a three hundred and fifty pound forty year old wow wow so, that 's amazing so how many beds are here at the u so we 're one of the larger uh, ICUs um, it 's a partnership with primary children 's okay. hospital so all of the faculty are University of Utah faculty and the nurses and respiratory therapists and support personnel are primarily employed by Intermountain Healthcare. <laughs> Um, we have 44 total beds, uh, which are arbitrarily divided up into 28 pediatric ICU beds and uh, 16 cardiac ICU beds, but we flux back and forth. So we've had, okay. right. we're the only pediatric ICU in Utah, and we actually are the referral center for the largest geographic uh, area of the United States of any children's hospital. So we've had up to 55 patients in our unit. For our 44 beds, just because we don't have anywhere else to uh, decompress to.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, I know pediatrics is a very popular... Uh, field for a lot of our medical students. Indeed, across the country, pediatrics is very popular. Like, there's something about working with children. I'm just curious, Dr. Post, like, what inspired you to kind of take that next step? Why a fellowship? Why it's, pediatric critical I care? Think
1: it's good. So, going back to why pediatrics, I always wanted to be a pediatrician. That's why I went into medical school. I knew that I wanted to do pediatrics. I didn't know I wanted to be a pediatrician, so I explored. I thought about being a pediatric surgeon, hmm. pediatric anesthesiologist. And I finally decided in medical school after a neonatology rotation that I wanted to be a neonatologist. After my first year of residency, after my six-month of neonatal ICU, you don't do that anymore. You don't do that many. I decided I did not want to be a neonatologist. (laughs) And so I really didn't know what I wanted to be. I began to think about doing anesthesia afterwards or something. I knew I liked sick people, and I knew I liked to do procedures. And I'd never been exposed to a pediatric ICU. And all my senior residents in the Navy said, wait till you go to your pediatric ICU rotation over at Oakland Children's. You're going to be a pediatric intensivist. And so I went over there uh, kind of in the middle of my second year. And as soon as I did the rotation, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, being in charge. Mm-hmm. I have to admit that. That's, that's <laughs> one of mine because I did look at pediatric ER. But I, I didn't like it when people come and take my patients away. I mm. like to be in control. But more importantly, I really liked the interacting with families, getting the, you know, bad things happen to kids, unfortunately. But it's important that someone's there to help the kid as well as help the family through that process. And I also really like... Where ethics and end of life decisions come into play, mm-hmm. and so it was a it was a natural fit for me.
0: Oh, that's 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 amazing, Doctor Post. Like the thing, you know, I, I, when I go out and talk to students, sometimes, um, you know, in my presentations, I sometimes comment about how hard it can be to work with children yeah. because when children inevitably sometimes pass away before their parents. It kind of violates the natural order. It does. And I, I get the sense you're kind of on the front lines with that.
1: We do. We feel um, our department, actually, or our division, our critical care division, tries to be very proactive at that. We have a lot of social work support. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very family-oriented. Uh, most of our uh, f- attendings all have kids. We're a very close group. Um, I've always looked at these things are going to happen. And so making sure you're there to support the family is key for me. Um, a lot of times when people find out what I do for a thing, they, they say, I couldn't imagine doing that and Mm -hmm. and actually for me i couldn't imagine doing anything else it's Mm -hmm. actually what gives me the most rewards of all the things
0: i've ever done in my career yeah well that's uh, that's a beautiful dr post i'm glad i'm glad you're you're doing that so let's let's kind of switch gears uh you know recently past few months you've been uh put in charge of a new project here at the uh, the school of medicine yes um so tell us about uh This uh, new dual program. What's what's going on? I will. So I
1: I think um, this is an exciting thing and one that I was really happy to help with. Um, So we are launching a joint uh, MBA and MD degree. Uh, It's cooperation between the School of Business and the School of Medicine at the University of Utah. Um, And I really think it's an exciting time. This particular joint degree. It's one that's rapidly grown um, in the United States, but it's been a lot on the East Coast and a few on the West Coast. So I think we're really going to serve a unique need here. We have an excellent medical school uh, with top-notch applicants, and we also have an excellent business school with a wide range of MBA programs. And so this really was a student-driven initiative. Several students became interested in this and asked why we weren't
0: thinking of such a program. Because mm-hmm. we have dual degrees with Masters of Public Health. We do. And the PhD program. So this was, seems like the next logical step. It was. Yeah.
1: In addition, the business school had begun creating uh, joint MBAs with uh, the law school mm-hmm. as well as uh, engineering. And they also are getting ready to launch um, – the one with the video game degree, mm-hmm. uh, as people may or may not know, the master's here in video gaming mm-hmm. is the top rated um, video gaming mm-hmm. degree in the, the U.S.
0: We give California a run for its money. yeah, Exactly.
1: And so this seemed like a natural thing that they really wanted to partner with as well. So I had previously uh, helped set up a uh, master's in public health program mm-hmm. that was a joint program between the Navy and the San Diego State University when I was in San Diego. And I have a business degree as well. And so I was asked if I could kind of help uh, formulate this. And we've really made great progress, a lot of great folks. We have a lot of uh, faculty physicians here who have joint degrees, and they're going to serve as mentors and lecturers in these courses. And so we're ready. We're going to take our first group of students uh,
0: this year. Mm-hmm. So, so how's it structured? Would they? Would they? Would the students go any time, or is there a specific time they would step off their medical school? So studies? what we
1: plan to do is the majority of your business. It will be a five-year degree. So okay. we'll uh, bring an extra year into uh, the picture, um, and the majority of your business school. Uh, Experience is going to be concentrated in the now fourth year, Mm -hmm. with some integrated into the fifth year as well, as well as early exposure to it in the first several years. And that's more just going to get people interested in it during the first couple years, get lectures, student interest group. But you'll become enrolled into the program. You'll apply during your third-year medical school. Mm -hmm. During your fourth year of uh, this five-year program, you will then become into the business school, But you still will be able to do a once a week or so clinical experience. And that's actually pretty unique. Most joint programs, you come out of the medical school experience completely for a year or more. This one, you'll actually still be able to do clinical experiences. Um, and then your fifth year will be kind of a combination of getting the things done that you need to prepare to get your residency of choice, as well as finishing up your medical, uh, your business requirements, which are primarily going to be integrated experiences where you're going to be working with you faculty mm-hmm. to look at healthcare economic questions, program developments. Within the school of medicine or within the field of medicine.
0: Awesome. So, like, you would step off after your third year, go down to uh, to the business school for classes. Correct. From the sounds of, be one hundred percent integrated with business students at that time. You would. Yes. Have some clinical experience
1: along with with those students who are getting the dual degree in Masters in Healthcare Administration, Mm -hmm. the law degree joint students, as well as the video game.
0: So, a important shout out to everyone listening to the podcast. You would not apply to this before you applied to med school. No, sounds like it's, it's a separate application. It is software. a
1: separate okay. application. So you would you would obviously need to uh, be accepted in the medical school mm-hmm. and be doing well for those first couple of years, uh, but. After that, the application would be during the third year.
0: Uh, would would applicants need to have a degree in business or a background in, no, in economics? Not at all. Like, okay. So
1: certainly for those who have a uh, previous degree in a business-related field, they would be able to um, uh, kind of test out of a few of the Emission requirements, okay. such as taking
0: the GRE or GMAT. Okay, so that's still required, the GMAT or GRE? The
1: GRE or GMAT is required okay. uh, for the application along with letters of reference mm-hmm. and a couple
0: short applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, When you graduate, because I know business schools, they have, like, certain emphasis, like marketing or finance. Would this be part of the dual degree? So we, we do.
1: And so we looked at creating various tracks. Okay. But what we decided instead was with the electives and the integrative experiences to make it a customized experience. So that if a student was interested in research administration as their kind of business focus, that's how we'd help them craft their hmm. curriculum. If they were more interested in uh, nonprofit healthcare management, we could craft it that way. Okay. So instead, we decided to leave it customized rather than having tracks. Oh,
0: great! And so, where do MD MBAs end up? I mean, what kind of careers are available to them? Where Where do they end up? Variety of jobs. So they many of them. Uh, some run private practices.
1: A uh, lot go into healthcare administration. Uh, if you look at some of the upper reaches here of folks, including uh, the dean of the School of Medicine, have uh, business degrees as well. Uh, some go into research administration. Many go into public policy, mm-hmm. um, state government work, working for the Department of Health. So really a wide variety of opportunities. Okay.
0: Well, Dr. Post, it sounds like it's a, it's a really amazing opportunity. You know, I can tell, I mean, you and I both know, I mean, um, the practice of medicine uh, is increasingly mingled with the practice of business. It is. Um, it's fortunate or unfortunate, depending on your viewpoint about that. But
1: I always I- viewed it as fortunate mm-hmm. um, in that it gives an opportunity for physicians and other providers to help shape the healthcare future. Mm-hmm. That is why I got my business degree in that while I was in the military and graduate medical education was kind of there I was interested in, it became increasingly clear to me that financial folks, were steering the direction of graduate medical education. And I felt the only way to be able to uh, give counterpoints with them was mm-hmm. to be able to understand what they were talking about and giving my own proposals.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned GME, or graduate medical education, yeah. and that's also been kind of a, a new kind of position for you. So it is, So let's, yes. let's talk about that. So what is GME? Because I, I think that term is unfamiliar
1: to that, some people. I think like that you. is. So graduate medical education is the training that you receive after graduation from medical school. So when you get done with medical school, you are a physician, you are an MD if you come to the University of Utah. However, it's very hard to get a job at that point. Mm -hmm. And it is almost now impossible to practice in any state without a period of graduate medical education or residency training. So it is a part uh, or it is a time after medical school that can range from three years Mm -hmm. to seven years or more. Or more. Or uh, or Um, more, uh, depending on what you choose and how many fellowships you want to do. Um, But it is where residents and fellows – Uh, work for, and so they're both students and they are employed physicians. So they are providing lots of care while Mm -hmm. still learning their practices. We have about 70 programs here at the University of Utah, 750 residents and fellows. So by far the largest in the Intermountain West. um, And train the majority of physicians that are trained in Utah.
0: Okay. And then, and so... All the residency program directors. You work with all the residency program directors? I do. do
1: So I am the associate dean for graduate medical education. It's a position I've done twice before. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Once in the Navy and once at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita. And it's kind of graduate medical education has kind of always been my other passion besides pediatric critical care throughout Mm. my career. Why? Um, I like training the next generation of physicians. If I would, I was going to not be a physician, and actually was going to be a uh, pursue physiology mm-hmm. at, when I was an undergraduate and become a professor of physiology. But my mentor, who was a physician who never practiced, urged me to go to medical school, even if I never practiced, because he said it would open many opportunities that I did not know existed. And he was entirely right. Yeah.
0: Well, Doctor Post, that's that's an amazing journey. So right now, I know there's someone out there listening to this podcast, and they would love to have your job. What would you? What advice would you give them? Because like you know, there, you know, when I talk about my position, like it's I, it's hard to explain like how one gets to these positions. Uh, what advice would you give to someone that's listening out there? That's great,
1: and and this is pretty appropriate in that when I was a resident at the Naval Hospital in Oakland. I, The head of graduate medical education at the time was a fairly influential person for me, and I decided at that time that I wanted to grow up to be like him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to do it. And so what I did is I asked him, and he just said, take every opportunity you can in education. doesn't matter whether it's students, nursing students, pharmacy students at the bedside, just teach, and opportunities will come. And so I did that. Um, I always tried to teach, even when I went overseas to Guam. Mm-hmm. I tried to teach the nurses I was working with, uh, the clinic personnel that I worked with. Um, and then once I went through, I became an assistant program director for the transitional year program, which is for folks a uh, preliminary year before they go into things like anesthesia and orthopedics. Then I became a program director, and then I became a department chair. And then eventually became uh, taking over for all the graduate medical
0: education Mm -hmm. programs. And
1: it was really just taking advantages of opportunities. And trying to identify people that could mentor me in there. That. Yeah.
0: That's like Dr. Post, I'd love that because that really resonates with me because like what I tell people is there's two main things. Number one, you have to find good mentors. You have to find people who will kinda of shepherd you along the way that you can, you know, meet with, consult with, ask right. them good questions. And the second thing is going back to education is yeah, I agree completely. You gotta take all those opportunities. And I think what's hard for people to understand is that once you you know, once you become a physician, there's a lot of demands placed on your time. Yeah, um Research, clinical, like all, like clinical uh, rotation, like all these things, and then you know, sometimes education, um, you know, it's like a lot of times it's like volunteer driven. You know, it doesn't yes. really quote unquote pay very well. It doesn't uh, to teach. But to me, I'm also an educator at heart, and you know, if there's if they're looking for small group leaders with nursing students or pharmacy mm-hmm. students, those opportunities you really need to take advantage of to kind of hone your skill and become a better teacher.
1: I would agree 100%. It is not glamorous work at times, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it doesn't feel like it's as rewarded as some of the other positions that may be there. But at the end of the day, when you retire, whenever you're done, you will remember much more the people you helped Mm -hmm. than than anything else that you did.
0: Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.